Today's reading will be Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 18, the transfiguration. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? He replied, Elijah is indeed coming and will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but they did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man is about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them about John the Baptist. When they came to the crowd, a man came to him, knelt before him, and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, and he suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Jesus answered, You faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him here to me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good stuff. Today marks the end of our sermon series on being a disciple. For the past seven weeks, we have looked at a number of character traits that are embodied by those who wish to follow Jesus Christ and refer to themselves as disciples. A disciple is a seeker, a risk taker. A disciple is blessed. A disciple is both salt and light, a reconciler, one who has been perfected in love. Today is a culmination of all of those. It is my hope and prayer that we all leave this morning with a mind and a heart for action. That we not only hear the word, but as disciples, we will act upon it. Christ bid the first disciples, come, come and see. He said, row out further. Leave all that you have. Drop your nets and follow me. Come and follow. You remember that Sunday? He began to teach them. He clarified his prior- priorities for the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, the hungry, the thirsty. He challenged them to show mercy, to be pure of heart, and to be peacemakers. And he warned them of how the world would react. He told them they would be persecuted, that they would be reviled, 
that their work was so contrary to the current societal order that they may be arrested or even killed. And for that, he called them blessed. Jesus told them to be salt and light, to love and pray for their enemies, to be reconciled with their brothers and sisters. And he set these hard lines, these extremely high standards, and still they followed. They not only followed, but they acted. To have all of this information, to follow Christ, to be a disciple, it requires action. As a music teacher for nine years, it was my job to teach a room full of eight-year-olds how to play the recorder. They had to know the rhythms, the names of the notes, the type of notes, the duration of time that each note was to sound, the proper hand placement, which fingers to use to cover which holes, the correct level of air to blow into the instrument. They had to simultaneously hear and correct their mistakes while also taking into account the arbitrary sense of time and rhythm that had been set, either by me or the group at large, and they had to adjust as needed. It's complicated. It was my job to teach them all of that, to give them the tools and the instruments to make it happen. I worked with them individually and in large groups, We practiced together, they practiced on their own, but it was only during the performances when all of the learning, all of the practice and all of our preparation came to fruition and was fully realized. And it was in that moment that it was all on them. It was their doing, it was their playing, their actions, their music. Faith without works is dead. The world is not changed from our couches. You cannot walk on water if you do not step out of the boat. The stage remains empty and silence will fill the void unless we, like all of those eight-year-olds, pick up our instruments and play. In Matthew chapter 16, one chapter before our reading this morning, Jesus is challenged by the Sadducees and Pharisees. They were asking for a sign from heaven to prove his power. He didn't give them one. Jesus later asks Peter, who do you say I am? What is everyone else saying about me? Who do they say I am? And Jesus then confirms that yes, he is the Messiah. Peter, you are the rock. Jesus then foretells his death and resurrection. He says that he must undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and the chief priests. He must be killed and on the third day be raised. And then Peter, 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 Peter. Peter takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke Jesus, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. And Jesus turns to Peter, and Jesus says, you shut your mouth. 
Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You are setting your mind not on divine things, but on earthly things. If any of you want to be my followers, then you need to deny yourselves, take up your cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. What profit will they gain in the whole world if they forfeit their life? And so with all of this on their mind, Matthew chapter 17, verse 1, six days later, they climbed a high mountain. I found that interesting. Matthew found it necessary to note that a period of time had transpired a period of time in which nothing spectacular happened. But keep in mind, our God is not an idle God. It is in this holy silence where great works are being done beyond the veil. So, six days later, Jesus, along with a few witnesses, climb up a high mountain, up to where the air is cool, where the threads of this world are intertwined with those of the next one. And he is transfigured. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, he was changed. Bright, beautiful, glorious light. And there beside him, Moses and Elijah. As there were witnesses on earth, so too are there witnesses from heaven. The kingdom of God, for however brief a moment, was made known. Saints of both heaven and earth gathered together in the light of Jesus. Proof that those who died are not dead. And here, in this moment of glory and revelation and holiness, Peter, 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 opens his mouth. And I'll level with you. I feel for Peter. I, I really do. Which of us, when confronted with the majesty and glory of our Savior, would not want to set up camp and live there forever? I mean, isn't that our goal? To live forever with Christ in perpetual light, no longer knowing pain or fear or death or having need of anything other than the love and fellowship of our friends, families, and God Almighty. Here was heaven on earth in this moment, and Peter, so moved by the magnitude of glory before him, simply sought to remain in that presence forever. But Peter, 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 was not focused on heavenly things. He had not learned his lesson. He was still focused on earthly things. Would Moses and Elijah, having lived in God's glory for hundreds of years now, really have any need or desire for an earthly dwelling to come back to all this mess? I mean, really. Peter's problem here, in my opinion, is that he did not check his privilege. He had thought the kingdom had come, that this was his moment. 
He had been following Jesus closely. Jesus had even told him back in chapter 16, again, that he was the rock upon which the church will be built. So Peter thinks that's happening right now. But again, he did not check his privilege. Being close to Jesus is not the same as being like Jesus. Peter did not realize that the crown of glory is only achieved through the suffering of the cross. He had not yet fought the fight or finished his course. And again, Jesus had tried to tell them this. He had been telling them about his suffering that was forthcoming, conveying that they should expect the same. So it is either out of forgetfulness or prevention that Peter speaks. Peter wanted to remain in the glory of this moment, but this moment was not sustainable. I was reading through some commentaries on this passage and came across one that said, there can't be two heavens. There is only one heaven and one earth. Two heavens is just too much to hope for, especially for a man who doesn't even deserve one. Peter, Peter, Peter. Then suddenly, while Peter was still speaking, unable to close his mouth, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Think about that language. A bright cloud overshadowed them. In the Old Testament, a cloud was the visible token of God's presence. When God uh, spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, that was a dark cloud, one of smoke and fire, thick and black. But this was a bright, yet still overshadowing cloud, as if God knows the limits of our human abilities for comprehension and acceptance. And this cloud was intended to break the force of light, the great light, which otherwise would have overcome the disciples and shield them from the full glory of God. And then from this brightness, out of the cloud, God speaks. And this is important. God says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Hear again the good news, the best news to come from heaven since we were cast out of the garden. God again speaks from the heavens, repeating almost word for word the same thing that was said at Jesus' baptism. Please note, this is not by chance. It is intentional. It demonstrates the firm establishment of God's will. God spoke but once to bring each day into existence. So there should be no doubt of his intentions here. We are expected to take notice of this. These words were spoken at Jesus' baptism because he was about to go out into the desert, be tempted, and begin his public ministry. God wanted everyone to take note of that. And it's being spoken now, now repeated, because he was about to enter into a time of suffering, which really began from this point forward. I would argue that these words bore repeating at the crucifixion. But God could not speak down from the heavens while he was being nailed to a cross. 
An argument could be made that this moment, the transfiguration, was when the fullness of God entered into the body of Jesus Christ, but that is a conversation for another day. The point here is that God speaks and we listen. We walk by faith, which comes through hearing, not by sight. And the disciples fell to their knees, fearful and ashamed. Note here, though, that the glories, the advancements of our Lord Jesus Christ do not at all lessen his regard and concern for his people. It is comfortable to think that even now, even in this exalted state, Jesus has deep compassion for his disciples. In verse 7, but Jesus came and he touched them. Get up. Do not be afraid. And they came down from the mountain. Every week, we come to this church, we come to this mountain to worship. And regardless of which service you go to, it is the desire of my heart, of Al's heart, of Barbara's heart, that you experience the full glory of the resurrected Christ. That you, like Peter, get a glimpse of what heaven looks like and you know what it feels like to be in a community of the saints of God. I want you, like Peter, to want to be here, to want to stay here, to want to serve here. I pray that you, like Peter, James, and John, I pray that you hear the voice of God speak. I pray that this voice humbles you, challenges you. I pray that Christ's compassion and mercy touches your heart and stirs your soul, providing you with comfort and peace in a world that is often gripped by fear. But my friends, my sisters and brothers, I also pray that you, like Peter, like James and John, and like Jesus, walk down from this mountain as a transfigured people. People who are filled with God's spirit and ready to engage a hostile world. People who are ready to endure a fair bit of suffering, trials and tribulations. Because we, like Peter, have not yet completed our task. We have not yet finished our race and we are not yet ready to claim our crowns. We know who Christ is. We know what he has called us to do. The resurrection has happened. That is no longer a secret. Now if you walk down from this mountain in one direction, you will find the sleeping quarters of about roughly 45 men who need you to be disciples of action. And there are still vacant spaces on those volunteer sheets. If you walk down another way on a Monday morning, you will see sometimes over 100 people lined up here along First Street waiting for us to open our doors and serve them lunch. 
And depending on which direction you go, you can walk down from this mountain and you can see, like Jesus saw, like Peter saw, a community that calls our faith ineffective and powerless. If we read just a little bit further in Matthew's gospel, we learn about the bottom of the mountain. We learn that there were other disciples down at the bottom of the mountain, and you will see that they asked Jesus, why couldn't we heal that boy? Why couldn't we cast out that demon? And Jesus essentially says, because it's not about what you can do. It's about what I can do through you. Jesus said, follow me. Walk where I walk. Do what I do. Love who I love. And before he ascended back into heaven, he said, keep going. Go and do. Keep this up. Don't stop. Don't just tell them. Show them. Go and make disciples. Faith without works is dead. The world is not changed from our couches nor from the tops of our mountains. The stage remains empty. Silence will fill the void unless we pick up our instruments and play. In many ways, moving to pastoral ministry is not too different from teaching elementary music. It takes time to adjust to the different learning styles of each of the students. It takes time to understand what our expectations are of each other. I still get to work with a lot of wonderful co-workers and a few grumpy old men. But for me, and I'm sure other teachers can attest to this, my greatest joy comes from creating opportunities for you to demonstrate what you have learned, to allow room for discussion, sharing, and practice, to help you when you fail, challenge you to do your best, and push you to engage at your fullest potential. And just like my former students, I learned just as much from you as I hope you're learning from me. With that in mind, I invite you to look at your bulletin insert this morning and see this as an additional opportunity for you to put your faith into practice or potentially as a means of being transformed for action. As we enter into the Lenten season, I would invite you to continue seeking God in all things. Take a few risks. Engage with your friends and family in the holy silence. Use this as a tool or a conversation starter so that you may continue to be perfected in love and draw closer to God. Along with these suggestions, there will be other opportunities coming your way over the next few months. You've definitely heard about Pacham about our weekly bread and blessing soup kitchen, but you will also hear about Stop Hunger Now. You will hear about United Methodist Volunteers and Mission, 
You will hear about joining the Magnify Choir, building a Habitat house, important impact events. There are even two action teams currently planning our church's response to racial injustice and inequality. They will be sharing those ideas, those events, and programs so that you can attend and be a part of that. One of them's even meeting tonight at seven o'clock. And that's just the beginning. Jesus said, follow me. Walk where I walk. Do what I do. Love who I love. Keep going. Don't stop. Don't just tell them. Show them. See what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. But beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. But we do know this. When he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we will see him as he is. Amen. We'll continue worship this morning with the prayers.